0: first things first i think the bible should always be read in a british accent and i don't mark i you're you're watching i don't know how you kept a straight face the entire time i i forgot you were there i was watching otis and wondering if he was actually going to take the lighter from you and light the trains on fire behind you or something but hey thank you thank you mark thank you all for being here Uh, I do have a couple of announcements right off the top, and and we'll get those going. Uh, Parents, if you're looking for the kid devotionals, they should be in the link uh, box if you're online. Uh, uh, They should pop up there. I think Jen and Christy are the hosts today. Uh, It might be other people like Esther and Laura. I don't know who's on, but you do, and you can find those links. Then Jen just texted me, yes, we are doing announcements. This is that part. Uh, This holiday season, if you're looking for uh, a way to give back, we've partnered as Bethany with uh, the King West Department of Children, Youth, and Families uh, to do a giving tree to supply some of their needs for their kids as they're coming through. Uh, We've also uh, partnered with Aurora Commons uh, to help those who are experiencing homelessness. And so you can go on our website right now to churchbcc.org slash givingtree and you can find out everything you need. You can click on a tag, and then get a tag, uh, make the purchases you need to purchase, and then drop them off, follow the instructions that you'll receive when you go to that website. Also, uh, on December 16th, which will be here really soon, uh, at 7 p.m., we have something called a longest night service. Uh, as we know, that this is a very dark time of year, not just spiritually or what we're going through but the sun goes down at one o'clock in the afternoon and it comes up at noon so um it's like we're in Alaska but uh it would be worse but we have the longest night service because this is also a time of year where depression is spiked uh, even without lockdowns that has even furthered a lot of depression and anxiety and mental health um the time of year doesn't help at all now. So now we're combining two or maybe four things on one. And so we have this longest night service for people to process, grieve, worship Christ, maybe name some of, their, uh, some of the uh, issues that they might be thinking with or dealing with or grappling with. Uh, this year, Jen, is uh, our associate pastor, will be hosting and I believe teaching at it and running the service. So feel free to click onto that. More information will be available online or you can email Jen for that. Uh, with that, that concludes the announcement part. You made it. Good job. Great. Okay, let me pray. And then we will get going with week two of Advent. Father, we do thank you uh, that even in this dark time of year, we still have hope in you. Uh, with all the tumultuous uh, things going on, even trying to pronounce the word tumultuous, uh, Lord, we still have the constant and peace of you. And so we thank you for that. And today we acknowledge that you are at the center of all we do and all we think. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two sons, Judah and Caleb. And if you've ever met Judah, he is the passionate one. What I mean passionate one is there are feelings and there's no middle ground. He is either 100% this way or 100% that way. This week it was 100% dad. When I grow up, I'm going to be a ninja. So everything he does is ninja focused. He was stretching yesterday because that's what ninjas do. Um, and and a couple of weeks ago, dad, I'm going to be. I think it was a fireman, and everything he did was fireman. And so Judah is just this passionate son of mine, and it is awesome and exhausting. Uh, At the same time. So one of the things that Judah's into, and he's always into this, is the planets. He knows them all. And I didn't know them all until he did at this age. So I'm 41. I didn't know the order of the planets. I just didn't care to. I was watching football. Judah knows all the planets from Mercury all the way to the dwarf planet. Why do we call it a dwarf planet? That's mean. It's Pluto, the one that used to be a planet. I grew up thinking it was a planet. But Judah knows them all. He knows what temperatures they are. He's like a little Neil deGrasse Tyson walking around. And he, he knows the order, those the gases, the colors. And so the other night we were driving. Oh, I used to tell Judah that the moon was made of cheese. And it went on for a good four, and almost five years. Until he got smart and dead. It's not made of cheese. It's made of rock and this and that and this. I'm like, <laughs> who told him that? Uh, I also told him that eagles say freedom when they make a noise. And so if any of you ruin that for him, I'm coming after you. Okay, eagles say freedom. Okay, but the other day we were driving. And as we were driving, I, I, I read online that Jupiter and, and was it Jupiter and Saturn are getting closer and closer. And it happens every several hundred years. And when they combine, it's called the Bethlehem star. Weird, huh? It's like, it's like it happened in the Bible. And so I'm looking up at the moon and the, and the article said to the, where he could find them. And I thought, I'm going to impress my son. And so we got out of the driveway and he's usually not out after dark in the summertime. There's Judah. He's usually not out after in the dark, uh, in the summertime. So the winter time is the only time he could really see the moon. And he howls at the moon, um, like a wolf. And he's got his little brother to do. It's not annoying at all, but he, uh, I said, Judah, that's Jupiter that's saturn what he just goes ballistic jupiter and saturn are this and this and this and tells me all of the information about jupiter and saturn and then he says dad that's jupiter and saturn i'm like yeah buddy i I just told you it's jupiter and saturn and then i thought i'd be smart and the other thing said you could see mars the other night i said hey buddy that one's mars what and he just goes nuts he's fascinated by the stars fascinated by space uh it's one of his things he has an astronaut costume that he wears normally wants to wear to school but he's he's always got his head in the clouds so to speak or his mind in the stars and i tell you this because the passage we're looking at today talks about these wise men the magi that studied the sky back in those days they didn't have street lights that would steal the light from us or the lights of the city. And so all they did when they looked up, they saw the vastness of the stars. And these men studied everything about them. They had this belief that if something huge was going to happen on earth, it was all connected. It would reflect itself in the sky. And if something huge would happen in the sky, it would reflect itself on Earth, And so these men, we don't know how many, the Bible says that there was three. There could have been a multitude of magi. It just means very smart people, magi does. And so these guys studied the stars. And one day they saw a star. They saw a new one. They hadn't seen anything like this. Now, there's debate whether it was Halley's Comet that first showed up around 7 BC and 7 to 11 BC. Or it could have been another star that happened, a supernova. We don't know exactly what it was. It could have been the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. We don't know. All All we do know is they saw something in the sky and it got them curious. They went from probably Persia or Arabia and they started a journey because they thought Something was happening and we need to figure out what it was or what it is. Now, Jupiter is known as the royal or kingly moon or star. Saturn sometimes represents Israel or the Jews. And so the two of them together maybe caused them to go, king, Jews. There's a king of the Jews being born. We don't know, but whatever it was, it wet their appetite enough and they went on a journey to find a savior. It's in this search of the Magi where we all can learn something about what it means for us to truly seek Jesus. Because it wasn't just that they noticed a star. They looked at stars all the time. It was that their star led them to find out more. And it led, them to, it led Matthew to write about it. Noticing the stars was the easy part. The fascinating part was that the men didn't stop at a star. Instead, the star was the invitation to something more. Something more that these men would have, could have ever imagined. And because of this, today I want to look at three observations about their search. That we can take into our search as we continue to search for Jesus. Let's read the story, okay? Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. During a time of King Herod. Magi wise guys, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who had been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and as all Jerusalem with him. When he called together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked where where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, make careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned in their country by a different route. There's a couple observations that we can see here about how they pursued Jesus and how we can pursue Jesus. The first one is they weren't looking for a kingdom. They were looking for a king. In the very first part, they go to Herod. And they they, they know that Jesus was born. They go to King Herod. And they say, where is the king of the Jews? The way Matthew describes what's happening here is this political tinderbox. What he's implying is that these men, if you imagine the scene here, these men are asking the current king where the real king is. Do you see the trouble this might get them in? Herod wasn't the nicest of people. He was a very insecure king, as history will tell. We'll talk about it a little later. He was always concerned about being overthrown. So imagine this. You come and you know a little bit about this king because you pay attention and you say, you're an imposter. Where's the true king? You're a false king. The magi weren't impressed with political power. For them, the search for a king went much deeper than an office or than a rule. For them, they're highly educated men from Persian Arabia where Jews happened to live. They probably knew a little bit about the prophecies that would have happened. One of them in particular that was around that day, it's still around today, came from the prophet Balaam. You all know Balaam? Fascinating story in the Bible. A donkey talks to Balaam. Balaam's donkey calls Balaam a donkey. You can sub out the word donkey for something else. We're trying to keep it PG. Balaam's donkey talks to him. Balaam prophesied before that in Numbers 24, 17. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. Another word for Jacob is Israel. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the people of Sheath. Great uplifting verse, crushing skulls. But what this is pointing to is that out of Israel is going to come a king, but not a political king. It's going to come a king that's going to set the world right. Those were the enemies Israel And therefore the enemies of God. They were evil. And so what Balaam's prophesying is that this king that's coming, that'll be signified by this star, is going to be bigger than any kind of political kingdom that you might know of. And so Herod probably also knows the prophecy since he's Jewish and grew up that way, is a little bit uneasy about this. Herod had earlier... (coughs) excuse me, evacuated Israel because he thought someone was going to come and throw him out. And so he was always a little bit afraid of what might happen. He thought an attack was coming. And so he sees these guys coming in and thinks, oh, these are spies. And they're prepping the groundwork. And so Herod's afraid of what might happen. Now follow me here. Herod represents a kingdom. A kingdom where you have political rule. A kingdom where the effects of a king can happen wherever you want. If you're a king of a kingdom, your rule, what you say, goes. But the people that were seeking Jesus that day didn't want power. They wanted the true king, they wanted a Messiah. They weren't looking for the effects of a kingdom, they were looking for a rightful ruler. It's possible for us to be like Herod and search for the effects of a kingdom. Where we have our say, where we do what we want to do, where our will is done, it's possible to look for the effects of the kingdom and miss the king. This is what Herod was doing. We can look for the effects of power and politics and miss the person who's in charge. The magi this day walk in and go, We don't care about this. We want the true king. Let's put this into Christian words. We can pursue the effects of Jesus. We can pursue things like healing and wholeness and and, and reconciliation and justice and environmental wholeness, whatever that might mean, peace and unity. We can look for those things. Those things are great. Those are the effects of Jesus. When we search for the effects of something and miss the source of those things, we will always be Empty. Jesus is the only person. That can bring. The effects. The effects without the source. Is meaningless. The, the, the magi that day. Wanted the source. First. In order for them to have. The effects. We do this in our, own, in our own lives. We search for the effects. Hoping that the kingdom of God will come. And we miss the king. Matthew. Talks about this a lot because his whole point is setting up Jesus as the king. And so, this theme of missing the king for the effects of the king pops up every once in a while. In Matthew 7, I was telling a friend of mine that this is one of the horror passages for me because it talks about just this Don't go seeking the effects of the king without truly finding the king. Here's what it says. And if you look in the message, it's even more terrifying. In verse 13 of Matthew 7 in the message version, it says this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that. Even though the crowds of people do. And then you skip down to verse 21. Knowing the correct password saying, master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience doing what my father wills. I can see it now, the final judgment of thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached, in, in your, in, we preached the message. We bashed demons, which sounds fun. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important, but you don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. The God-sponsored projects we're full of those, right? Oh, this sounds great. This looks great. This will look good on a headline or on a website or, or a tweet. This will be awesome. But we miss the king and set in, in, in place of it. Let's not get lost looking for the effects and miss the source. Let's not get lost looking for the effects of Jesus and miss Jesus. Let's be careful not to miss the boat. So in our pursuits of Jesus, may we find Jesus, first. The next observation that happens with these men is they weren't looking for a blessing, they were looking for a sacrifice. Remember when they finally get to this house, this will mess up your nativity scene, wherever it is in your house. The wise men did not go to the barn. Okay, sorry. You can adjust your nativity scenes when you get home. It says in Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They came to the house. They saw the child, the, ch- the word child there, Is not baby. The word child is the Greek word padeon, which means toddler. It was some time later. They came to the house that Mary and Joseph were living in, in Bethlehem, and they found a toddler. A two-year-old. I have one of those at home. They got there, and then they began to worship him. When they got to Jesus, now notice this. The first thing they did, did they make requests of a toddler? No. You can't ask a two-year-old to go stand still. What are they going to request of him? They got there, and the first thing they did was not come up with a bunch of demands. They didn't get there and complain about parking or how long it took for them to find them, the absence of signs. They didn't demand anything. Matthew says the first thing they did was worshiped. They came and they worshiped. They did not come, come to collect. They came to give. Which is the opposite of what our culture does. We always ask the question, what is in this for me? Right? We have a very consumeristic culture in our our supplies, in our market, but also in our relationships. In our friendships. We ask, what's in it for me? What can I gain from this? If we do that, if you think about it, if you do that, what's going to happen with your relationship? It's going just to be exhausted. If I walked into my my kids' rooms and began to play with them, and the whole time I'm asking them, what is this going to do for me? It's going to do absolutely nothing. The joy of me playing with my kids is that I get to play with my kids. It's not because I do. Do I get something out of it? Sure, I have a good time most of the time. They've learned to jump on me in places that really are painful, but it's mostly a fun time. But if I go into it thinking, what am I going to get from this? I miss the point and I'm going to come out completely empty. The same is true in the marriage, in our marriages, in our relationships, our friendships. If I go into a conversation with Carrie thinking, what am I going to get from this? I'm going to get absolutely nothing. It's not about what I can get. It's about the relationship, it's about the friendship, it's about something that's being built. If we go into our things always asking and making requests of what we're going to get, we're going to come out empty. We all know those people that do it, right? They're obnoxious. But when we do this, we become consumers. And the problem is we, we seek Jesus in the hopes of getting something from Jesus, Now, sure, when we seek Jesus, there will be things along the way. There will be blessings, but those aren't the point of following Jesus. We can't consume just to consume. We can't do this with churches. We consume with churches. We say, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to have this attitude of what needs will I have met here? Now, and when, when we don't have our needs met, when we've consumed all we can consume, because That's what consumption does. And you have to move on to another consumption source. So when we find Jesus, are we seeking the blessings of Jesus or are we seeking Jesus? Now there's a balance here because when you find a church, the church does care for each other. We do take care of needs. But if you look in scripture and you look through history in Acts 2.42, and everyone loves to point to this. They gathered together. They worshiped. And then the result of the gathered community and the worship of Jesus led to the last part of the verse, and they took care of each other and met each other's needs. What comes first in the equation? Gather together, worship. The first thing that disciples, that the, that the Magi did, they worshiped, they offered their gifts, they pursued Jesus for Jesus' sake. The goal of pursuing Jesus. Is Jesus. We follow. A savior. Who ended up dying on a cross. And then he says to us. Do the same. That's the goal of Jesus. There will be blessings along the way. But the goal of Jesus. Is Jesus. Jesus says come. Follow me. In order that you might find me. We pursue Jesus. For Jesus's sake. Romans 12, 1 gives us the proper response. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. Following Jesus requires us to worship him. And then we sacrifice the wise men, the magi, gave gifts. They offered things to Jesus in return. We offer our lives And what we'll find when we offer our lives to Jesus is we'll find true life. That's the promise. The last observation. They weren't looking for more information. They were looking to be transformed. Verse 12. After having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. After meeting Jesus, they worshiped him. They were changed. Something happened that night. They had a dream. Matthew uses the dream sequences a lot to communicate how God is communicating with them. They had a dream about Herod. We don't know what they dreamt. They just said they had a dream. We know what Herod did. He had a slaughter of uh, baby boys who were under the age of two. They knew not to go back to Herod to tell him where Jesus was. The Magi didn't know what was going to happen, but something did happen to them that night And they walked away changed. Their interaction with Jesus that day changed their course. And they obeyed. They didn't ask for more information about Jesus. They didn't ask for the source of the dream. They didn't say, uh, well, let's debate this. And maybe it wasn't a literal dream. Maybe it was another uh, hypothetical cultural dream. Instead, what they had, dream Jesus changed direction. In our culture... Especially here in the Seattle Pacific Northwest, we love data, right? How many times in the last seven months have you heard data, data, or science? So many times. We worship data and facts. We want to know everything that we can possibly know. We love different solutions, different viewpoints, different opinions, different ideas. We want to know about things. Generally, we want to know about them but we don't want to know about them transformationally. We want to know all the viewpoints of Jesus. We want to be conversationally aware, but we don't want him to mess with our stuff. We don't want him to change our lives. We don't want to change our minds. We don't want, or we want more info. We want the cultural tidbits. We want want to know all about the scriptures. In order that we can make the scriptures or make Jesus fit what we want Jesus to be saying in our lives. We don't want anything to do with what Jesus actually calls us to do. An honest pursuit of Jesus will always lead to change. An honest pursuit of Jesus will always lead you in a different direction. No one can come face to face with Jesus and walk away the same way. Either you walk closer or you will walk further. But you're going to have to make a choice. Just in Matthew, here's a few. The Magi walked away different from Jesus. The man with leprosy walked away healed. Each and every disciple had their lives changed by Jesus. The girl who was healed because her dad asked. Her and her father and her whole town walked away different. Peter's mom was sick. She walked away changed. There were two demon-possessed men that lived in tombs. They walked away changed. The centurion who was commended for his faith in Matthew 8, walked away changed. The man who was paralyzed and couldn't get into the pool was changed. Zacchaeus was stuck in a tree. He came down. His life was changed. The woman who touched his robe was changed. The blind man who got a mud pie on his eye, that was changed. There was a person who was mute. There was a dead girl that was raised from the dead. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and walked the other way. The Pharisees and the teachers continually walked the other way. John the Baptist was changed. Pontius Pilate was changed. The Roman guard at the foot of the cross that said, surely this guy was the king of the Jews, was changed. Every person who comes into contact with Christ walks away differently. Either you'll come to a closer relationship or you'll walk away further. Either way, there's an invitation. The invitation for the Magi that day was a star. But we just can't settle for this invitation, much like you don't get an invitation to a party and stick. Remember when we used to go to parties? You don't get an invitation for a party and stick it on the fridge and then wonder about it. An invitation makes you decide. Either you're going to go and be changed, have a good time, or you're going to not go. You have a decision to make. The star was an invitation. But it was an invitation to come find Jesus. Why? Jesus loves to be found. Deuteronomy 4 says this, and it's in Scripture, "But if you seek the Lord, you will find Him." Jeremiah 29:13, "You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart." Proverbs 8:17, "I love those who love me, and those who seek me will find me." Matthew 11, "Come to me, all who are weary." and burdened and I will give you rest. These are just a handful that you can look up real easily. The bottom line is Jesus wants to be found. Name one person in scripture who wanted to find God in Jesus and Jesus said no. I'll wait because there isn't anything. He wants to be found. There's joy in being found. Another kid's story, Caleb, my, the one with perfect hair, uh, he's two, he, uh, he took mine. And so he, he loves to hide. And the reason he loves to hide, why? There's pleasure in being found. And so he'll go to the closet and he'll yell, Daddy, hide, slam the closet door like I don't know where he is. And he, he, then you kind of walk by and he starts giggling as you get closer. He loves to be found. He's played hide and seek. Judah loves to be found. When you played hide and seek as a kid, or maybe yesterday, is there joy? Yes, there's sometimes fun and no one being able to find you if you're horribly introverted like that. But the fun part about hide and seek is can this person find you? The same is true with Jesus. He wants to be found. He's given you an invitation. Come, find me. Find life. Don't find the effects of me. No, no, no. Don't find me to find what what you want. Find me. Find Jesus. There's joy in being found. And there's a star to invite us there. These wise men saw a star. But they didn't settle for a star. Today, may you not settle for something else. But may you settle only on finding Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that there is an invitation from you, written to us, written in the sky, so to speak. Saying, come and find me. I'm here. Find me. And like my son, God, you sort of begin to giggle when we get close because you're so excited to find us. In Genesis 1, you came to find us that we might find you. Lord, you delight in being found. And may our search for you never come to rest without finding you. And so, God, today, may your spirit begin to work in our hearts and expose the places in our lives where we are falling short of discovery of you. Where we're searching the effects of you instead of the results of you. May we find the places in our lives where, uh, where our search for you is just so we can get something. And may we find you and sacrifice our desires and find you. And may we not fall short of the invitation to follow. It's in your name we pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen.